can save man's soul and proves that we are unique. <laughs> so here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turning those Bibles to Psalm 139. We're going to continue in our series that God is closer than you think. Today, I want to talk about when you feel like a nobody going nowhere. You ever felt that way? There's a moving movie that's out called Mr. Hol uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. And in that movie, uh, it tracks 30 years of his life as he raises a family, teaches high school music. But it goes beyond instructing his students. He pours his life into them. And as the story unfolds, uh, you discover that he took the teaching job because he couldn't make a living writing and performing his own music. So the dream of composing a symphony was put on the back burner for more pressing matters. But it was always there, vibrating just beneath the surface, waiting, hoping. And then came the day when the music program at the high school was axed because of financial cutbacks. And as Mr. Holland struggles with being put aside by the school board after so many years, He's left questioning whether his life has mattered at all. He's put his dream on hold to take up the daily goal of trying to impact the lives of teenagers through music. And now that, too, is gone. Ever felt that way? Maybe you feel that way right now. Deep down, I mean, when it's quiet and everybody else is in bed, when you're driving and you don't have to pay much attention, do you, do you start thinking about where your life is headed? What you've done or haven't done? Do you ever pause and add up what your life amounts to? And Well, do you come up short? Maybe you just feel like a rat in a cage turning a big wheel. Life is a treadmill of the same old, same old. You're working hard, but it doesn't feel like you're going and getting anywhere. You feel underappreciated, overlooked, underpaid, or even unnecessary. There's many versions of what Mr. Holland was going through. It seems to me that most people who take the time to reflect on their lives struggle with these incomplete feelings and dead and uh, the, the dead-end thoughts that come from that. Some people wrestle with them every day. If you take stock of your life and you say, what difference does my life make? Does anybody really know or care about me? Then you're in the right place at the right time this morning. I've even asked you the question, is our church supposed to be here? Why are we here? It's a good question. It's a great question. And I've got some great news for you. I've got an answer for you today. Psalm 139 gives us the answer. David shows a different picture for your life. He wants to give you a view from the top. He wants to help you and me to see the meaning of our life from God's perspective. And there are four truths, four lessons, if you would, that if believed are guaranteed to replace pity parties with purposeful uh, pursuits as we learn the true value of our investment in others. So I want you to get ready. Here we go. Lesson number one, God 
knows you. In the opening six verses of this psalm, Psalm 139, there are eight different Hebrew words that stack up to tell you that God knows your story intimately. Let's start at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You know all about it, Lord. You have enriched me. You have placed your hand on me, this behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to attain it. Each of these words, these Hebrew words, conveys a different layer of God's knowledge of you. Combined, they picture God like a detective tracking even our most mundane activities, studying us even when we think we're alone. He's dissecting our very inner world, our inner parts, and he's discerning what makes us tick and what we do and why we do what we do. I love to watch parents with children. Children think they're getting away with stuff. Parents know before they do it what's going on. That's a mom. When, when mom, moms aren't that smart until they give birth. And when they give birth, ah, don't think I've said something silly. Stay with me. Because when they give birth, there is a supernatural power from God that comes into their life. Their eyes no longer are focused this way. They rotate around their head. It's a supernatural thing. You can't see those eyes move, but they know. You can come in and, and, and you can stand there with the, with the most angelic face and the halo over your head and tell your mother. Now you can get away with it with your dad because he don't really care. He's sitting in the chair half asleep anyway. And if you came in late, he wouldn't even know it because he's been asleep for half an hour. And what gets you in trouble is when you wake him up to tell him that you're late. Don't wake him up. Leave him alone. But not mama. Mama can be act like she's asleep. And, she, and I mean, you can even just, you can open the door and just barely crack the door. And she hears it. She hears the door go, just like it's a bomb. Boom! And when you turn the corner, you're tiptoeing, you're turning the corner. And who's there? Mama! You turn the corner, she flips the light on, and oh, man, the whole world changes right there. Because that's mama. Something supernatural about it. Don't think you can get by with it, because you can't. You might, get, you might sneak in, you might get in your bed, and then in the morning, she hammers you. So what time did you come in last night? How did she know? How do they know? See, I'm telling you. But that's God. God does those things. And mom doesn't know nearly as much as God does. Bryant's dad used to tell the boys all the time, no matter what you do, he's going to find out. It don't matter what you do, God's going to find out. He sees you do everything. Then you have to stop and go, everything? You fill in the blank of what everything is. Everything. So God knows your heart, your fears, your thoughts, your motives, your dreams, those frustrations. He knows your past, your present, your future. He understands you. He notices what's going on around you, to you, and inside you. He gets you. In fact, God 
has you pegged better than you have yourself. See, some of us get so self-sufficient. I don't need him. No, I don't need you. don't need you over. I got it. I got it. It was so funny. I helped Corey move into his apartment yesterday. And he had, he had this big hulking guy that's going to help him move the sofa and the console that weighed 90, 100,000 pounds. And I said, son, I can help you do that. And he looked at me like, yeah, okay. The only thing I need you for, Dad, is your truck. I don't, I don't really need you to carry anything. We got it, though. Man, he was moaning. Oh, man, I was just great. I am. I don't have any trouble at all. You know, after eight, eight Benadryls and five, you know, a tube of Ben Gay, everything looking great. The funniest thing is when Cindy called me on the cell phone, I'm holding up the end of the sofa with one arm, and I'm talking to her. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> hey, God knows this. God's in charge. God knows what's going on. So you just got to step back. Lesson number two, God pursues you. He knows us. Secondly, God pursues us. David affirms God's thorough knowledge of us in verse 6 when he says, it is lofty. I am, un I am unable to reach it, to attain it. What he meant is, I just can't deal with this. It's too overwhelming. It's out of my reach. It's like that time when you're, like I was going back to the mom. Moms say stuff and you're going, how did they know? So you were out and you were doing stuff you weren't supposed to do. And you came home. They know. They know by the way you smell, by the way you walk by the attitude you bring, they know. Again, dads don't care. Moms know. Mom believes you're going to hell in a handbasket if you don't straighten up right now. Dads go and send them. And then mom comes in, has a conflict with dad, and then he acts like he cares again. All right. And you know, in this scripture, Right here, God's pursuing David, and he's pursuing us. David's first instinct is to hide. Because he says, it's, it's overwhelming. I, I, I can't grasp it. I can't get to it. Where can I hide? I don't want to face God. I don't want to face this. Then pick up at verse 7. <coughs> and look what he says. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the bed of Sheol, if I go to hell, you're there. If I live on the eastern horizon or settle on the western limits, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night, uh, the night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. I can't even hide in the dark because you're there. You ever, you, ever, you ever tried to hide and somebody turned the light on you? Yeah. And you're just like a cockroach. I love cockroaches. When you turn the lights on, man, they shroom, they take off. Because they don't like the light. They want to come out in the dark. They're evil. Cockroaches are evil. Just like you and me. When we're in our sin and we're in our darkness and God's light pops on, beep, we go, oh, no. When my boys would lock the door of their room, I would stand there and just knock. What you doing in there? Satan's in there with you, ain't he? You better open that door and let God back in there. 
Come on now. Here I go. And you'd hear the shut up, leave it alone. No, man, I was saved. <laughs> you see? Why? Because I used to lock my door. Yeah. Yeah. You see, that's why your parents know so much is because they used to do the same stuff. You see? Oh, well, then it's okay. If they did it, well, I can do it. No! That's why do you think they turned out the way they did? You see? We're trying to stop you from turning out this way. Are you with me? But God knows all of it. He knows all of it. You can't hide. Look at verse 10. If I could ride the sun's rays and fly at blinding speeds to some remote place or bury myself under miles of ocean, even there, writes David, your hand will lead me. Well, that's guidance. He goes on and says, your right hand will hold on to me. That's security. So wherever you go, he's there. Somebody said, where are you? I said, well, wherever I go, there I am. That's profound, isn't it? Because there you are. Where are you? I'm right here. And guess who else is with you? God's with you. Got his arm around you. Here you go. God was with me yesterday carrying that sofa. God was with me carrying that console. There wasn't any way we were going to get that sofa out of Megan's apartment to get it over to Corey's apartment. And just because we had to bend the roof pieces, it's okay. It's all right. Nobody will ever know. They didn't see us. I feel guilty. I should go down there and fix that then. Yeah. God's with us all the time. I think God was pushing it up there. He's the one that created the problem, wasn't us? He's with us. He's with us in every piece, in every way. He's there. You're wanted by God. That's what this really means. You are wanted by God over and over in the Bible. We see this affirmed. We are called God's beloved, chosen, dearly loved children. We are told that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when you feel the crushing weight of loneliness and wonder, if you would be missed if you were gone, remember, God loves you. <coughs> Marianne Bird writes of when she was growing up. She knew she was different. And she says, I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I would, how I looked to others. And a, and a little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. And when schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I would tell them that I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow, it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade. Why is it always second grade teachers? Third grade teachers. Whom we all adored. Mrs. Leonard was her name. She was short, round, happy, and a sparkling lady. Nothing wrong with being short, round, and happy. <laughs> Annually, they had a hearing test, and Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was her turn, Marianne's turn. She said, I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back. She would say things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? So she waited for those words that God must have put into her mouth, those seven words that changed her life, Marianne says. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my girl too. 
And Mary answered, that changed her whole life. You see, folks, when you don't feel like you're worth anything, when you don't feel like you have any hope at all, just remember that God is saying, I'm glad you're my kid. I'm glad you're my kid. I'm glad you're my kid. Lesson number three, God himself made you. Look at, pick up with me at verse 13. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. I'm telling you right now, folks, somebody that says abortion is okay, that that's not a living being growing inside that mother's womb, are wrong because of this verse right here. God formed you. He knows you. Do not believe Satan's lie. You might say, well, preacher, I've already experienced abortion in my life great news god can love you still and he still loves you all you gotta do is just come and ask him just ask him and the great news is he knows all about it he knows all about it why do mothers know so much because they agonize for nine months to get that baby here and there's nothing more precious than a newborn baby amen we got to set up their New Year's Day and watch, watch uh, Misty and Jeff go through that birthing process. And got time for that baby to be born. Man, she was, he was hurting and in pain, and yada, 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 yada. 20 minutes later, the baby's born. We go back in. She's a happy, hey, what's happening? What is going on with that? You got the ogre over here sitting, rah, rah, rah. Baby's born, and hey. She's sick. Because that mama knows now, and, and, and every mama I've ever known gets the baby and starts to count their toes and their fingers. They want to make sure everything's perfect. And trust me, mamas know when that baby's good. Just like your God knows when you're good. Verse 13, David says, I have been remarkably and wonderfully or fearfully and wonderfully made the adverbs in that sentence were make plain that God made you. He threw away the mold. You are totally unique, a one-of-a-kind, fashioned with awe-inspiring skill by Almighty God. Right down to that thumbprint. When I preach this to young people, I have them do this. So I want all of you to hold up your thumb. Come on. Hold up your thumb. Now kind of turn it around and look at it. Look at it real close. You have to take your glasses off and look, take them, look at it. You see it? Now I want you to lean over to your neighbor and look at theirs and let them look at yours. Come on. Look at it. Don't poke them in the eye with it. Just, <laughs> just look at it. Do you see yours different than theirs? Because you see, it is. This, nobody else has this. This is mine and mine alone. Yours is yours and yours alone. So as soon as God created us, he threw away the mold. And when I tell kids, I say, all right, I want you to take this thumb and go, hey, I'm special. Okay, ready? On three. One, two, three. Hi-hey, I'm special. You're supposed to stick your thumb out. You're supposed to say hi, not hi-hey, I'm special. Come on. hi I'm special. Hold that thumb up and grin. All right? Because you are. 
If you'll think that and remember that and live it, great things can happen. The most powerful computer in the world is currently the IBM Blue Gene L, housed in Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California. It can perform 280 trillion calculations a second, but that's nothing compared to the computer that they're trying to put together at the Department of Energy's Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. Components from that supercomputer began arriving in the fall of 2006. 36 moving vans full of equipment will be needed to complete this computer. By the time it's finished this year, in 2008, the computer will fill a room the size of a hockey rink and consume as much power as a small town. And the goal is for this computer to do a quadrillion calculations a second. How fast is that? It's roughly a billion with a B, a billion times faster than the desktop computer you have at your home. Hey, that's pretty fast, huh? But guess what? The human brain processes information faster than that. Faster than that incomplete computer. Scientists estimate that the brain carries out 10 quadrillion operations a second. 10 times faster than a computer the size of a hockey rink. God's done it some fancy putting together, hadn't he? 10 times faster. Wow. If you don't if you, if you don't like what you look, you know, when you look in the mirror, you've been listening too much to what the world has to say. And you haven't been listening to your heavenly Father. I I used I I, I still catch myself doing this because I do it jokingly, but I realize that it's not sometimes received as a joke. I'll come up and say, man, you were ugly. You know what I'm saying? You were ugly. But I don't mean that they're really ugly. I'm just trying to break the ice, you know, and all that. But I need to start coming up and saying, whoa, you good looking. Whoa, come over here. Hmm. Come over here, you good looking. Oh, man, oh, wow. Oh, whew. Now what's going to happen? Well, they're going to flush out, turn red and everything else. If you tell them they're ugly, Charlie Myers, junior high principal, now, that's all he used to say to every student. They'd walk in and say, God, you ugly. You ugly. But they all knew he loved them, you see, and you cared about them. But let's just change that, change that thinking, and let's start talking about how beautiful we are. How beautiful are you? Amen? Like old Zig Ziglar said, we need to check up from the neck up. Turn that stinking thinking into good thinking. Amen? Don't talk so bad about what we don't have. Just expect that miracle. Come with a spirit of expectancy. Woo, glory. Can you expect that the church house is full? Come on. Yes, you can. We started this morning. This side was full. We had three over here. But I said, later on, it's going to fill up. Look here. Huh? All right. Now what's going to be fun is we can fill up every chair. We've got to carry more chairs. We've got an empty chair. Let's fill them up. Let's run simulcast over the other room. Amen. First Baptist wants to sell three and a half million. Somebody write me a check. Here we go. Lesson number four. God has plans just for you. Jump down to the latter part of verse 16. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend and how vast their sum. 
David says that the script for your life was already written by God and the Lord has carefully mapped the details that will fill your days, ordaining that they will and they will not happen. The Hebrew word the Holy Spirit has David used here indicates that God has created each day of my life. Tailoring circumstances, establishing boundaries, fashioning opportunities for His glory and my good. You see, that's what we need to understand. Even though I'm in a valley, even though I'm walking through a tough time, God is with me. God has a plan. If I'll just relax, take a deep breath, and lean on Him. And start singing, lean on me. When you're not strong, yeah. I'll be, that's it. You got to lean on Him, right? You got to lean on Him. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. God knows what he needs for you. Lean on him. But I can't see him. He's ugly. He's left me alone. I'm by myself. Oh! Remember that footprints poem? It's exactly what they felt, huh? Walking along, only saw one, one set of footprints in the sand. The guy got mad at God, didn't he? Well, where were you? I was going through some tough times. He says, baby, I was carrying you during those times. He's carrying us if we just let him. See, some of us don't want him to carry us. When he tries to pick us up, we keep knocking him upside the head. Leave me now. Let it out. Let it out. No, I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I'm a self-made man. By golly, I can do it. I never saw you before. I don't need that. Only to be laying whoop, out on the ground. He's going, I'm still here if you want me to help you. I could have watched Corey try to carry that sofa by himself yesterday. That would have been fun. That's a video moment. But he needed help. Now, far be it, we didn't carry it very far. We scooted it a long way. That's okay, too. That's all right. Oh, mercy. God doesn't want us to set plans in motion. and He didn't set plans in motion and look the other way. His thoughts are on us constantly. He greets us each morning with a fresh mercy and new opportunities, ready to go through the hours with us. He loves our company, and he has specific plans for us alone. When I get, when I get down and I get, I get beat up, I, music is what draws me back to the presence of God. I don't know what it does for you, but I'll put on scripture music, I'll put on worship music, and here I come. I've got one CD that's just, it's the title, Spiritual Warfare. When I turn it on, Satan has to leave because he ain't staying in the house. See, we all get there, folks. I come to the cross, get on my knees right there because that's where we got to go. But he loves us and he cares about us. He's with us every moment of every day. If I were to hold up a $100 bill in front of you and I were to say to you, this is a crisp $100 bill, I'm going to give it to one of you, you'd all, have, you'd all be rapt attention at this point, wouldn't you? Now, if I were to take that $100 bill and I were to wad it up and then hold it in my hand and say, any of you still want it? You'd still be in rapt attention wanting that $100 bill, wouldn't you? If I were to take that $100 bill all wadded up and I were to throw it on the ground, I would have stomp on it, stomp on it, I would have rub it and grind it, I would have throw some dirt on it and rub that in with my foot over there, and then I were to pick it up and, and hold it with my fingers like this because it's so dirty and nasty and say, anybody still want it? You'd still have rapt attention. Why? Because you know that underneath all of that mess is a $100 bill. Well, I'm going to say to you this morning as the worship team comes to help me close, 
your God's $100 bill. And maybe life, maybe life has shoved you down. Maybe life has stomped you. Maybe life is crushing you. Maybe life has thrown dirt on you. Maybe, 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 just maybe, you don't feel like much. You don't feel worth anything. I want you to know that God can take you right here and make you into a new $100 bill if you let him. And even though life may have struck you down, may life may have knocked you down, and it may not look good for you, underneath all that mess is that beautiful creation that God made. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to hang on that cross and to die. Father, would you impress on each of our hearts and our minds the fact of our worth, the fact that we can be created in you, alive in you, fully clothed in you. Father, can we realize that you know our innermost parts, our outermost parts, our thoughts, our hearts, wherever we are. You're big enough to handle even our anger. You're big enough to handle when we don't like it. You're big enough to handle when we are on a pity pot. You're big enough to handle all of the frustrations that we bring to the table. And you still love us. You still love us. As broken, as down, as crushed, as dirty, and filthy we are. You still love us. So God, today, would you reassure that one heart in this room this morning that needs to know that you love them? Father, would you help them to understand that no matter how bad it's been or how, how bad the past was, that is exactly what it is, past. And you've got a great future ahead as we lean on you. Father, if there's somebody here today that needs to know you as their Savior, well, we'd sure like to study and encourage them. Somebody maybe wants to join the church, be a member here, we'd sure like to visit with them and study with them a little more about what that means, the commitment that they're making to that. Father, there may be just a, somebody in this room that just needs prayer, just needs to, to, to fall on their knees right up here in the front. And I know there'll be prayer warriors that'll come and gather around and pray with them. Whatever need might be here, Father, today, as we sing this wonderful, wonderful song, would you move in those hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing together. Corey, lead us.